creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need a creative pep talk Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. Over the summer, I took a trip to the UK with my family to visit my wife's family for a few weeks, as we do every few years. And the day that we landed in the UK just so happened to be the hottest day ever recorded in British history. And uh, I saw someone on the internet even cracked open an egg on the sidewalk to test the whole, it's it's so hot out here, you could fry an egg on this sidewalk kind of thing. And guess what? You're never going to believe this. It didn't work at all. Uh, it, was, uh, it didn't fry the egg. Nothing happened because, it, of course, it wasn't that hot. But that's probably not a surprise. But we get fooled by this kind of thing all the time. Like, hurry up, man, the sidewalk is so hot, you gotta come crack open what you got out here. And we do, we crack open what we got and nothing, half cooked up, nothing laying out there on the sidewalk could have been in our bellies. And these cliches aren't true, but yet we still buy it all the time. Hurry up, man, hurry, come on, hurry. You gotta come out here, IG Reels. So hot right now. TikTok. So hot right now. Podcasts, podcasts are the things. Graphic novels, they're so hot. Multiverse themes, social justice, neurodiversity. He's so hot right now. You, you gotta come out here and crack open what you got, hurry. This thing is hot right now. You've, <laughs> you've gotta come, I just put on a map. Hurry, guys, uh, you're gonna miss it. Oh, you're not ready? Doesn't matter. Crack open whatever you got. This thing's really cooking. And so we do. We're like, okay, we rush. We binge make something till three in the morning and then crack it open right on TikTok for that sizzling hot platform. And pff, nothing happens. Just like the freaking egg. The only thing that gets fried is your creative motivation. It's not the egg or your creative work at all. And... We hear something super hot, we buy into it, we immediately drop whatever we were working on and we go crack open what we got and then get disappointed when we find out it wasn't as hot as they said it was going to be. Like, it's less like a fried egg and more like egg on your face. This rushing, this manufactured rushing is not so much a part of the creative process as it is a product of the economy that we find ourselves in. Uh, and if you're feeling fried from that economy, from chasing the next hot thing to the next hot thing and never really getting anything cooking but yourself, and now you're burnt out, sick of so many, so many, so much wordplay at this intro, um, and you're sick of wasting your best creative ideas before they're ready, this episode is about how to let go of being timely and shoot more for the powerful creative target that is timelessness. So we're going to get into that, but first, a quick word from the sponsor. Quick. 
I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. Little uh, thing about the series we're doing, we're doing a series on human rhythms and it's kind of the anti-algorithms because I feel like with all the sizzling hot action that these social apps are doing, we're all getting to be completely apathetic and burnt out about the whole thing. And I just felt like it was a good reminder for me to dive into what are the human rhythms that will actually help me connect with other humans, not connect with the algorithm the way it wants to get connected with? Because not only is it better for my mental health, it's also, I think, uh, likely, it often just leads to better work and deeper connections with others, which in the long run will matter so much more than what this or that platform is focusing on today. So we're doing a, a series on human rhythms. This is episode two in this series. Last episode was all about kindred spirits. It was about connecting with people as kind of the high, highest calling of your creative work. Uh, this one is going to be all about timelessness and, and how, how not getting obsessed with being timely and hitting the hot stuff uh, can actually make you more generative and hit the hot stuff more often. Let's do it. Chapter one, why not being creative sometimes is the most essential step in the creative process. It's a very long title for ch chapter one. The first step, I think, to getting unfried 
as a creator uh, to stop the burnout from running from the hot thing to the next hot thing and actually making more stuff is to embrace not making stuff sometimes. Let me explain what I mean by that. If you want to be a, a career creative, that means a lifetime of creative output and that notion can come can get overwhelming. This idea of like, I've got to be making new stuff every week forever. Like I'm going to run out. If that is overwhelming to you and you compound that with the pressures of social media and the pressing pressure to make everything turn to video and jump on to new trends and be timely with everything you do and make sure that you're talking about something that's relevant right now, that can very quickly feel completely impossible. Uh, there's just not enough time in the day to make that much stuff to be on all those different hot platforms, man. There's just not enough time to be that creative. And I personally wonder if this lack of time and overwhelming notion that we must always be producing is actually why we don't implement one of the most fundamental, powerful steps in the creative process that is essential, but hard to imagine making room for in the current creative climate that we find ourselves in. I've been making this show, this podcast for almost eight years now. And it means that I've consumed a ton of information about creativity, books on creativity, audiobooks, magazines, podcasts, TED Talks, interviews, biographies, on and on and on and so on and so forth. I've consumed a ton about the best practices of creativity, and I've been an illustrator for over a decade, making tons and tons of work. So if there's one idea that I've come across that I don't see many people practicing uh, and it comes up particularly often in the scientific study of how good creativity actually happens. The thing that I don't see actually put to practice very often, the elusive step in the creative process is called incubation. And it's part of the process where creators let an idea just kind of sit there for a while and, and hang out. And according to the researchers that I've heard, this is so essential. It's one of the top four or five steps in super creative individuals processes. And of course, incubation of creative ideas is something we don't see much today because we don't have time to let an idea just sit there. Like, okay, I'm just gonna let you uh, chill out while I go eat a sandwich. No, there's no time for sandwiches in the current creative climate. But in this episode, I want to argue that there is in fact, perhaps time for creative sandwiches and so much more. You don't have to not give your ideas time to incubate. I actually think if you do that, you'll have more creative work. And let me explain what I mean by that. Okay. So most of you know, in my creative career, I go by the name Andy J Pizza. And if you didn't know, I said it at the beginning of every single episode. Why do I go by Andy J Pizza? Because I love pizza. It's really that simple. Uh, I love pizza and my real name is so common. It's Miller, I'm not <laughs> hiding it, but it's so common that not only are there just like other terrible Andy J Millers out there, um, but you can't get any social handle. Everybody just Googled Andy J Miller. There's some particularly bad ones. Um, it's so common, right? Like even at my gym, if I tell them like, hey, uh, I'm Andy J, I'm An Andrew J. Miller. They're like, okay, we've got 15 in your town. Um, you're gonna have to be more specific than that. So I started calling myself pizza so I could get a social handle and a, and a web domain that was reasonable. Uh, that's the whole thing. I like pizza and my, I have a common name. 
But sometimes my family gets called the pizzas because of that. And the thing is, it just isn't that accurate or fair because no one in my family actually likes pizza particularly much, which is, yes, uh, something that I'm going to therapy for. I don't, it's a, it's a horrible situation. But um, we often joke that if my wife and oldest daughter had a favorite food-based last name, it would probably be egg because they eat so many, or egg sandwich. So Sophie egg sandwich, um, because they eat tons of egg sandwiches. And I feel like we go through an insane amount of eggs that there's not even enough time to get to the store to keep up topping up these eggs. We ran out of eggs this morning, I kid you not. And sometimes as crazy as it sounds, I'm like, man, oh, well, I wish there was a way to just plant an egg in the ground and have just it generate a, a whole egg producing tree. And of course you're like, Andy, eggs don't grow on trees. That's completely insane. <laughs> but <laughs> all of you actually know that there is a way of taking an egg and doing things to it so that it can generate egg after egg after egg after egg every single day. That's right. I'm talking about the chicken bird and the bees. No, I'm not. This is, stop that track. This is mostly a PG show so that all of you chicken dads and moms and uncles and aunts and, and whoever you are can listen to this show how, however you like in front of whoever, you know, kids and whatnot. Um, I try to make it mostly family friendly, except for that chicken bird joke, I guess. So we're not going to go into the chickens and the bees side of it, but after that part, how do you produce an everlasting egg producing egg tree? Not by planting it into the ground. Did you know a chicken is an egg tree? You can take this one little thing and get so much more out of it if you will just give it a little what? Time. There's a way to take one of these little things and give it something that will make it turn into something self-generating. This magic thing, it's just time, time to incubate, giving it the time it needs to develop, to be something that can turn into tons and tons of eggs, <laughs> tons and tons of creative work. If you incubate the egg, you have a self-generating egg. If you let your best ideas incubate, instead of cracking them open prematurely every day before they're ready, plopping them onto whatever social media is supposedly so sizzling hot right now, you can fry an egg on it. Is it possible that just one of those ideas could eventually produce a whole self-sustaining, generating creative farm of sorts? I think it can. It has in my own creative practice. We feel like we have no time to make everything we want or need to make. We rush out our creative work in a frenzy because we have no time. We got to hit the trend. We got to do it now. We got to be timely with what we do. But what if you have these ideas and you give them time to incubate, you could let them become something so self-generating that you had more creative work to show for not making work some of the time. You had more time and more creative work is what I'm trying to say. What if the problem isn't that 
we don't have enough time to generate enough creative work, but rather that we don't give our creative work enough time to become self-generating. What if it's not that you're not making enough and actually that you don't spend enough time not making? Like that, man, wow, oh, that feels good to me. I need it. I need to hear that. If you're sick of running from one fad to the next with only one thing getting cooked, that being your brain, um, maybe you don't need more time to make stuff, but give the stuff you do make more time. This means letting your best ideas incubate long enough to become self-generating sources of creative work. Let's talk about how to do that. Okay, chapter two. Chapter two, forget the work to remember how to do it. Uh, the second step to making more by doing less in a more sustainable human way is to purposefully forget about your projects. I really think forgetting things and letting them drift from your conscious mind is an essential part of the creative process. And I wonder if maybe that's why ADHD people are so creative. They don't have better, more creative brains. They're just better at forgetting stuff than anybody else. I am a master of forgetfulness. Um, I almost just forgot how to say forgetfulness. What does it mean to let your creative work incubate? I think it can mean a ton of different things in practice, but essentially it means that maybe one of the most essential steps to creative work is not making creative work sometimes. I recently heard a classic example of creative incubation, that phase in the process by someone who I consider to be somewhat of a creative genius, Taika Waititi. I pretty much love anything that this guy touches right now. Um, I'm just a, a huge fan of his sense of humor and aesthetic and the and his creativity, just the way he approaches the work. If you don't know who Taika Waititi is, he is the genius filmmaker behind films like Hunt for the Wilder People, one of my all-time favorite films, and Jojo Rabbit, as well as the two latest Thor movies and also Voices Korg, the Rocky, you know, not like, Sylvester Stallone, but actual rocks, who I think is arguably one of the best characters in the entire MCU multiverse. Yes, I am a certified Taika Waititi fanboy, and I'm not afraid to admit it. Uh, and he's also completely fantastic as uh, Blackbeard in the show Our Flag Means Death. Anyway, can't get enough of, of his creative output, and I think it's partially because he's not afraid to incubate his ideas. So it didn't surprise me that Part of his creative success is due, in his words, to his extreme observance of this phase. I heard him say in an interview recently, I saw a clip where he said that he doesn't think anybody really wants this tip because he doesn't know if anybody is actually interested in risking practicing creativity this way. But it's a big part of his process to write a movie and then forget that he wrote it. Forget, just forget about that whole movie. Forget about the whole script for like a year. And then open it back up and tear it to shreds and rewrite the whole thing. And it makes total sense to me because I have a kid's book coming out next year that I'm going to announce shortly that I did a very similar thing to. And this incredible thing happens when you write and work and you toil and you try to make this thing great and, and you play with the problem and you, and you try and try. And it's just usually hitting a wall of some sort 
And then just to be like, all right, forget it. I'm just, you know, either that's not going to work or I'll come back to it later. And then coming back to it afresh a year later, it does two things. One, it makes you so much less precious because you didn't just toil over it. You don't even care about that person that toiled of it, toiled over it. It's like, yeah, forget that guy. I don't even remember that guy. And you're just like, cut out all this crap that sucks. And you get, you're a better editor at that stage. But also because that incubation is extremely productive because it's not just your conscious mind that is working on that problem. I heard comedian John Cleese, who, by the way, says a lot of great things about creativity, has said things that I am completely not a fan of as well. Just just saying, don't, cons- don't co-sign his whole uh, behavior and perspective, but he has ha- said some things on creativity that have been extremely useful to me. Uh, he's done a lot of work in the field of creativity and he's even wrote a book all about it. And he holds the incubation phase in extremely high regard. He tells a story of writing an episode of Monty Python and then completely losing the draft, being super distraught, you know, sleeping on it, pouting for a while, coming back, and then being extremely surprised and elated to find out that the rewrite was way better than the previous draft. And from diving into the research, he shares that the scientific community believes that this has something to do with the way our subconscious works on problems when we let go of them consciously and let our deep mind kind of get to work overnight or over weeks or months or even in Taika's case, years. If you don't believe me, but you're a gamer, maybe you've already experienced this a bunch of times because you've probably experienced getting super stuck on a level or a boss and playing it over and over and over and over and just giving up, concluding like this is completely impossible. And then sometime later, the next day or a week or even a month, you give it a shot and you beat it somehow impossibly swiftly in a record speed. Has that ever happened to you? If you play video games, it probably has happened to you. Like me and my son actually use it as a strategy. If we get stuck somewhere, we're like, you know what? I'm going to sleep on it. Come back the next day. Boom. Crush it. It's happened so many times. I actually, I use it very frequently when I get stuck. When I made my dream journal, Strange Dreams with Chronicle Books back in 2014, I did a little bit of a deep dive into the research of dreams. And I found a lot of interesting new ideas that researchers uh, are talking about and discussing on this topic. I don't feel like a lot is fully known about dreams for certain, but there are some really interesting theories that I came upon. Uh, One of which was this notion that we might have two types of dreams and the two dream states you find yourself in throughout the night have very different qualities. So essentially one is in which we mine the past for lessons that can help us in the present. So dreams actually are both your brain trying to access the past, access past and future to help you in your everyday. It's like some, you know, these past dreams are kind of like this old archive of your experience, like these old files. If you think about it through the lens of like Pixar's Inside Out, they go back into the deep files that were logged away in your brain to the things that are possibly relevant to the problems that you're facing today. These are the kind of dreams that you have that are usually more nostalgic uh, and, and usually more pleasant. Then we have the dreams. The other kind of dream are the ones where we play out future scenarios and practice our responses. And I think 
you know, maybe the fact that I have such crazy, fantastical dreams. Like last night, I think it was, I dreamt, yeah, it was last night. I dreamt that there was a Lego alien takeover and I actually ripped one of the Lego UFOs out of the sky, ripped open the top of it and interrogated the little Lego figures in there. And they were telling me about like all the plans and what have you. And then it turned into like this World War Three thing. And I remember going and finding this guy who I think is this German TikTok uh, philosopher, or he's actually just a proper philosopher that I see on TikTok all the time who's various eccentric and I'm telling him like, Hey, the world war's coming again. And we get on this like old Italian kind of motorbike thing and, you know, pull the little engine with like the mower cord and we're going down the, it, and then I remember like Dane cook was on Dak Shepard. He's been in the news for bad reasons recently. Dane cook, not Dak Shepard. And I remember feeling like, man, what are you doing? What the heck's going on? So that was my dream last night. It was all a mixture of all that stuff. And I wonder if those crazy dreams are just because I'm more anxious than other people, perhaps like my future dreams, my anxiety dreams where I'm prepping, I'm trying to prepare for every possible scenario, like a Lego invasion. Um, like that's, you have these other dreams. Those are usually the dreams that can be nightmares because they are a, a mental practice for worst case scenarios. So dreams are a peek into how much work our deep subconscious minds do while we're just incubating our creative ideas. Like while you're not consciously working on your project, your subconscious is. And I think it's important to give it the time to do that. They've even had studies when they were exploring dreams where they would have someone play a snowboarding video game until they got stuck take a nap and then come back and return with consistently improved gameplay. And there was even an account where the dream in the nap was the participant going through a memory where they were walking through snow and they were stepping in the footprints in the snow because they remembered like it's easier to walk in the footprints that are already there as you're working through the snow and it's your brain going through like, what do we know about snow? Anything, give us anything we got. Maybe it'll help us on the snowboarding game. Now I'm not a scientist, even though I have the glasses of a scientist, well, maybe more like a science teacher. I did a survey on Instagram uh, once about how I come across in first impressions and a huge amount of people said middle school science teacher, which I, I, take as a compliment. And I feel like it's, uh, feels very accurate. So I'm not a, a scientist, but maybe I know enough science to teach middle school science. I don't know. Um, but from my experience, all this stuff rings true from my actual creative practice. You might be thinking it all sounds lovely, Andy, but some of us live in the real world. We can't just sit on the egg of our ideas for a year until it's ready to hatch. Like I have to make 15 t-shirts a day, or I have to have a logo design due every other hour. Like what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to incubate these ideas? I'm glad you asked because next up, let's talk about how to put it to practice even when you have a high demand of stuff to create and how making less stuff in a less timely manner might have the potential to make more creative work, not just more breakthroughs, but actually generate more work in a way that is more sustainable as well. 
All right, chapter three, your call to adventure today is to employ the sawdust principle. That is the creative call to adventure. By now, probably wondering how in the world is making less creative work possibly going to generate more creative work. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, you're probably not a filmmaker with the kinds of funds and resources to just sit on your ideas for years at a time and get them to the place where you feel like maybe they're ready. Um, guess what? Neither am I. And I am still able to use the incubation principle in a, a big way in my practice. And it's actually one of the reasons I think I sometimes am able to appear like I'm doing tons and tons and tons of stuff. That's because an incubated creative idea is self-generating, just like that chicken. Let me explain what I mean. Many of you know that one of the most formative projects in my creative work is something I call invisible things. It's something actually my wife, Sophie, and I have been talking about and throwing around and tinkering with all the way back as early as 2011. And if you want to check out this project, you can go to uh, at I see invisible things on Instagram and, and see the project. It's personified invisible forces. So, uh, you know, scientific things like gravity and, and dark matter and also um, feelings like melancholy and joy and also ideas and thoughts and all kinds of the other esoteric uh, abstract concepts that are very real but also invisible. So this project was a huge breakthrough in my creative practice. It opened up a ton of doors and has led to countless projects. And it all came from a little post, a tweet that I did four or so years ago that took off on Twitter and I turned it into a poster. Just that one little thing, that little egg of a tweet turned into so many other posts, poster sales, clients, and personal projects. It's just ridiculous. How do you think that was made possible? Well, it's because that little tweeter bird didn't lay that egg of an idea at all. It didn't start with that tweet. It started back in 2009 when I was in a total dead end in my creative work and started to dig deep into my introspection of myself and did this daily drawing project called Nod that didn't really go anywhere. I was just exploring like why I seem to love characters hiding in tree trunks and under rugs and other dimensions and all that so much. Like what was it about these hidden characters that I loved? And it took 260 characters and several years after that project had finished and incubated for many of those characters to be reborn as the Invisible Things project. Now that incubated idea became like an incubated egg turned creative chicken that now spits out tons of eggs on its own. This podcast is the same. Every single week I generate new ideas and stories and artwork for the episodes and so much of that work a year or two later turns into a breakthrough client project or talk. And if you follow me on Instagram, you'll have seen that I had the honor of designing uh, recently a super limited edition gaming controller for Xbox. It was a complete dream for someone who has uh, loved video games when I was a kid and then fell really hardcore for video games as an adult all over again. So if you're a hardcore follower of my work, you know that the hero design of this project, the thing on the front of the box, looks remarkably inspired by my Pencil is Mightier t-shirt that I designed for this show a few years back. 
because all of this work that I make, like some of it's hit, some of it's miss, but all of it incubates over time and gets stronger as I come back to it. And it's not a coincidence. That was an incubated egg, man. I am the incubated egg man. Like the biggest mistake I think creators make is that they either never sit on their eggs, like they never come back to old ideas that they had that they published or didn't publish or whatever, or they just sit on those eggs in private and they never release any of that stuff. And I think if your career is not what you want it to be, you don't have the time to be warming that egg up in private. Like you need to be getting your eggs out there into the world on a podcast or social media or what have you. Like, don't be afraid to work it out in real time in the real world. That means you're incubating your, at the same time you're making, you're sharing the process. This is the first way you end up making more with less because there's all this stuff in the process that becomes creative work in its own right. But mainly the incubating process turns into more creative output through what writer Pete Senna calls the sawdust principle. This is just absolutely brilliant and it kind of changed the way I think about making work, especially showing up online. Uh, and it really helped me find the time to incubate my ideas. So you can find the full blog post in the show notes of this episode, but let me explain in a nutshell. The sawdust principle is this extremely simple but powerful idea. It's essentially this idea that back in the day, lumber yards had the biggest business breakthrough when they realized that sawdust, the waste that was created from their primary wood cutting business and lumber business could actually be a product in its own right. It's, it's a cheaper particle board and additives to all kinds of other products. When they realize that, they turned their biggest waste of time and, and product uh, into their biggest product in its own right. And the same is true for your practice. It's easy to get overwhelmed by all the places you're supposed to show up these days, and it makes you want to do none of them. At least that's what it makes me feel. But what if you realize you don't need to craft the whole project for those spaces. They don't have to be your lumber where you, where you put that primary creative juice, but you can use the sawdust from those primary practices in those places. This podcast started out as just sawdust. I started this podcast because I'd read tons of books and tried a million things and had to learn a thing or two about building a creative practice to go full-time as an illustrator. By the time I'd done that, I had generated an enormous amount of sawdust that I was doing nothing with, which was a bunch of thoughts and ideas about best practices of creativity and creative practices. And, and I turned all that useless stuff that I couldn't do anything else with into particle board of this podcast. Nowadays, I've made a sort of rule for myself that nearly everything that I share on social media must be sawdust from my client work or from my books or from this podcast. It's not meant to be brand new, self-contained, self-generated work for the internet. It's the sawdust of those bigger ideas that have been incubating for years that turn into the stuff that I put on those other platforms. So here is your call to adventure. Your challenge is to write out what is the main piece of your creative practice and what is the waste of that practice? Like, what do you know or what do you do that is really great but 
doesn't actually make it into the final product. What is your sawdust? What kind of content can you make from that so that you have more bandwidth? So you're not making tons of extra stuff for all those other places that you want to show up so that you can let the lumber uh, incubate longer to mix both metaphors. Maybe you spent tons of time learning some expensive or technically difficult process. You know, all you need to do at that stage is set up a tripod to film that part of the process. And you got a little sawdust collector for some reels on Instagram or TikTok. Maybe you take that difficult to master technique that you finally cracked over years and you crack that open onto that hot sizzling pavement. You turn that sawdust into a class that becomes another source of income that you start selling some of those extra sawdust eggs. <laughs> it's really breaking down. Whatever it is, your challenge is to find the so-called waste in your creative practice and turn it into something useful. If you do, it may seem like it takes extra time, but it actually gives you extra time when you start letting that waste turn into valuable, consistent output that you don't have to make totally new things for. And you don't have to create elaborate output and elaborate creative work for. And you can start spending your best time making creative work and letting it chill, letting it incubate. That means you have more time to make and, and more time to rest and ultimately more time to let those creative ideas get better while you let them rest. Part two of the Human Rhythms series brought some humanity to the madness that is trying to be a creator successfully these days. Uh, and I hope it gives you some more time and bandwidth to utilize some of these practices so that you can let your ideas become the best they can be. And the whole time, I just want to say you can be sharing parts of it. You can be sharing the unfinished parts. I'm not saying that you can't. I'm just saying that if you give yourself space by creating sawdust types of output, um, you will have enough time to let those things become all that they want to be. And, and this shift has just been super helpful to me because I just don't think it's the, the, the best, highest space for your creativity to be something that is consumed in one and a half seconds um, as people scroll, etc. Anyway. Hope it helps, and uh, massive thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our jingle and theme music. Thanks to the Patreon backers for being um, so, so helpful in making this podcast possible. Thanks to Connor Jones for editing the show so well, and uh, huge thanks to Ryan Appleton and Sophie Miller and Katie Chandler for all the other podcast assistants that they bring to the table. And until we speak again, stay pepped up. Mm -hmm.